Chapter 11 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 11 Pursuit. Maurice, when he took his abrupt leave of Lady Vivian, did not return to the hotel. He felt as though he could not breathe, could not exist shut within four walls with the oppressive weight of his new disappointment crushing and stifling his spirit he traversed the streets with a rapid pace not knowing nor caring whither he went if only he kept in motion his own torturing thoughts pursued him like haunting fiends driving him mercilessly hither and thither and he sped onward and onward as though by increased celerity he could fly from his own intangible persecutors now sprang up the tantalizing suggestion that as lady vivian had never seen madeleine the latter had presented herself under a feigned name for the sake of concealing her rank and baffling the friends who sought to discover her abode was not that very possible very natural he recalled the tall, finely moulded form of which he had caught a glimpse in Lady Langdon's salon, and for a while he cherished this chimera. Then its place was usurped by one more painful. Madeleine was perhaps travelling alone, subjected by her very beauty to the curious scrutiny, the heartless insults of brutal men, and, perchance, through her ignorance of the world, trapped into some snare from which she could never be extricated unharmed. Then his mind was filled with the horrible idea that, in her friendlessness and despair, finding no place of refuge on earth, she had flung away her burdensome life into violent hands. Nothing was more improbable than that a being endowed with her self-controlled serene sorrow-accepting temperament should be driven to such an act of unholy madness yet maurice allowed the frightful fantasy to work within his brain until it clothed itself with a shape like reality and drove him to the verge of distraction where could she have gone where oh where hundreds of times he asked himself that perplexing question all the pursuing demons seemed to shout it in his ears and to defy him answer if she had escaped the perils he most dreaded where had she hidden herself perhaps she had only taken out a passport for england with a view of throwing those who sought to track her steps off the right scent if she had gone to england her passport must have been visaed as she passed through paris if it had not been presented at the bureau de passeport she must have remained in paris if she had conceived any plans by which she thought to earn a livelihood where could they so well be carried into execution in that great city she might reasonably hope to be lost in the crowd and draw breath untraced and unknown if she had left the metropolis the fact could easily be ascertained by examining the list of passports Maurice walked on and on, until gradually the clamorous city grew silent, and the streets were deserted. Besides the vigilant police, only a few late revellers, with uncertain steps and faces hardly more haggard than his own, passed him, from time to time. Still he walked, carrying his hat in his hand, 
that the night breeze might cool his fevered brow. There was a stir of wheels again, a waking-up movement around him, shop windows lifting their shuttered lids and opening their closed eyes, men and women bustling forward with busy, refreshed morning faces. Another day had dawned and brought its weight of anguish for endurance. Maurice had paced the streets all night. The light that struck sharply upon his bloodshot eyes first made him aware of the new morning. The season for action then had arrived. The night had flown as a hideous dream. He did not know into what part of London he had wandered, but he hailed a cab, sprang in, and gave the order to be driven to Morley's. The distance seemed insupportably long. He was now tormented by the fear that he should not reach his destination in time to take the first train for Dover. When he alighted at the hotel, he learned that in less than an hour the train would start. He dashed off a few incoherent, sorrowful lines to Bertha, hastily crammed his clothes into his trunk, paid his bill, drove to the station, and secured a seat one moment before the railway carriages were in motion. After he crossed the channel and entered a railway coach at Calais, utter exhaustion succeeded to his state of turbulent wretchedness. Nature asserted her soothing rights and poured over his bruised spirit the balm of sleep. With reviving strength came renewed hope, and when he awoke at the terminus in Paris, he was inspired with the conviction that he should find Madeleine in that vast metropolis, a conviction as firm as the belief he had entertained that he would behold her in Scotland, and afterwards that he would discover her in London. He hastened to the Bureau de Passeport and examined the list. No passport had been visa to which her name was attached. It was then certain that she was still in Paris, but what method could he devise for a systematic search? He thought of the argus-eyed, keen-scented police, who, with the faintest clue, could trace out any footprint once made within the precincts of the far-spreading barriers, but could he drag his cousin's name before those public authorities? Could he describe her person to them and enter into details which would enable them to hunt her down like a criminal? Delicacy, manly feeling, forbade. He must seek her himself, unaided, unguided, and a superstitious faith grew strong within him that, through his unremitting search, never foregone, never relaxed, he would discover her at last. His plan was sufficiently vague and wild. He resolved to scour Paris from end to end, scanning every face that passed him until the light shone upon hers and kindled up once more his darkened existence. When he last returned from Brittany, he had engaged one small, plain apartment in Rue Bonaparte, the Latin quarter of the city, a favorite locality of students. Here he again took up his abode, or rather here he passed his nights, he could scarcely be said to have a dwelling place by day. From dawn until late in the evening he wandered through the streets, peering into every youthful countenance that flitted by him, quickening his pace if he caught sight of some graceful female form above the ordinary stature, and plunging onward in pursuit, 
with his heart throbbing madly, and his fevered brain cheating him with phantoms. His search became almost a monomania. His mind, fixed strainingly upon this one all-engrossing object, lost its balance, and he could no longer reason upon his own course, or see its futility, or devise a better. The invariable disappointment which closed every day's search, by some strange contradiction, only confirmed him in the belief that Madeleine was in Paris, and that he could shortly find her there, that he would meet her by some fortunate chance would be drawn to her by some mysterious magnetic instinct. Every few days he visited the Bureau de Passeport to ascertain whether her passport had been presented to be visaed. To the friends he daily encountered he scarcely spoke, but hurried past them with hasty greeting and a painfully engrossed look, which caused the sympathetic to turn their heads and gaze after him, wondering at the disordered attire and unsettled demeanor of the once elegant and vivacious young nobleman who had graced the most courtly circles and was looked upon as the very glass of fashion a mould of form maurice had been nearly a month in paris passing his days in the manner we have described when for the first time he encountered gaston de bois the former would have hastened on and only the rapid salutation which had grown habitual to him, but Monsieur de Bois stopped him with an outstretched hand and said, "'Where have you hidden yourself? I have been expecting to see you ever since I came to Paris, but I could not discover where you were lodged. My lodgings are in the Rue Bonaparte, numero blank,' returned Maurice abruptly, "'but I am seldom at home.' "'You will force me to take my chance of finding you?' asked Monsieur de Bois, forcibly struck by his friend's altered appearance. Or, he added, you will come to see me instead. I am at the Hotel Muras at present. Thank you, said Maurice absently, glancing around him at the passers-by as he spoke. Good morning. Monsieur de Bois would not be shaken off thus unceremoniously. He was too much distressed by the evident mental condition of the vicomte. He turned and walked beside him, though conscious that Maurice looked annoyed. "'When we parted, did you go to Scotland as you proposed?' inquired Gaston. "'Yes, but Lady Vivian was in London. I sought her there. She knew nothing of my cousin. I returned to Paris, for I am sure Madeleine is here.' "'Here?' almost gasped Monsieur de Bois, stopping suddenly. Maurice walked on without even noticing the strange confusion that arrested his companion's steps. The latter recovered himself and rejoined him, asking, in as unconcerned tone as he could command, "'What caused you to think so?' "'I am certain of it. Her passport was taken out for England, but it has not been visaed in Paris. She must be here still, and I know that I shall find her. I have walked the streets day after day.' hoping to meet her, and I tell you I shall, I must. Monsieur de Bois, whose equanimity had only been disturbed for a moment, shook his head sorrowfully, saying, I fear not, it does not seem likely. To me, it does. Fifty times I have thought I caught sight of her, but she disappeared before I could make my way through the crowd to the spot where she was standing. 
this will not last forever. Ere long we shall meet face to face. I hope so. I heartily hope so. I would give all I possess, though that is little enough to have it so. These words were spoke with such generous warmth that Maurice was moved. He had not before noticed the change in his Breton neighbor, a change the precise opposite to the one which had taken place in himself, yet quite as remarkable. Gaston's address was no longer nervous and flurried. He had gained considerable self-command and repose of manner. The air of uncomfortable diffidence, which formerly characterized his deportment, had disappeared, and had given place to a manly and cheerful bearing. "'If he loves Madeleine,' thought Maurice, "'how can he look so calm while she is, God only knows where, and exposed to what dangers? "'Have you heard from Mademoiselle Bertha?' asked Monsieur de Bois, with some hesitation." yes several times my cousin bertha was broken-hearted at the news i sent her from london but i trust that soon he did not conclude the sentence his wan face lighted up his restless straining eyes were fastened upon some form that passed in a carriage without even bidding monsieur de bois good morning he broke away and pursued the carriage for some time he kept up with it but Gaston saw him motion vehemently to the sleepy coachman, who was lazily driving an empty fiacre. The next moment Maurice had opened the door himself and leaped into the vehicle. It followed the carriage the vicomte had kept in view, and soon both were out of sight. The imagination of Maurice had become so highly inflamed that forms and faces constantly took the outlines and lineaments of those ever present to his mind and when after some exhausting pursuits he approached near enough for the elusive likeness to fade away or when the shape he was impetuously making towards was lost to sight before it could be neared he always felt as though he had been upon the eve of that discovery upon which all his energies were concentrated after their accidental encounter gaston dupois called upon maurice repeatedly but never found him at home bertha continued to write sorrowful letters teeming with inquiries maurice answered briefly as though he could not spare time to devote to his pen but always giving her hope that the very next letter would convey the glad intelligence which she pined to receive Four months was the limit of her yearly visit to the Chateau de Grémont, and the period of her stay was rapidly drawing to a close. She wrote that in a few days her uncle would arrive to take her back to his residence in Bordeaux. The language in which this communication was made plainly indicated that she would rejoice at the change. She touched upon the probability of seeing Maurice before she left, but he was unmoved by the half-invitation. Nothing could induce him to leave Paris while he cherished the belief that Madeleine was within its walls. Count Tristan wrote and urged him to return home, but the summons was unheeded. He could not have endured, while his mind was in this terrible state of incertitude, to behold again the old chateau, which must conjure up so many harrowing recollections. Then, too, his natural affection for his father and his grandmother was embittered by the remembrance of their persecution of Madeleine. 
until she had been found, until he could hear from her own lips, as he knew he should, that she harbored no animosity towards them. He could not force himself to forgive their injustice and cruelty. She alone had power to soften his heart and cement anew the broken link. End of chapter 11